Welcome back to In the Queue, film conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Phil, and this movie really made me appreciate movies. In particular, Blade Runner. Oh, sure. I can see that. That Mm -hmm. makes sense to me. Um, Clearly a heavy influence on this in one form or another. Uh, I'm your co-host, Andrew, and I really did not expect 2017 to be the year in which so many remakes of animated movies were so much more lifeless than their animated counterparts. I'm racking my brain here. What other movies are you thinking of? Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yes, yes. Beauty and the Beast. Not just anime, but all animation. Yeah, any animation, yes. Yeah, well, I recall our episode about Beauty and the Beast uh, quite vividly. And mm. I'm wondering if maybe there's going to be a similar reaction to today's <laughs> film. <laughs> Ooh, only time will tell. Yeah, um, the film we're talking about today is Ghost in the Shell. It's the new, newish uh, remake of the anime of the ma- the manga and the animated film from Japan Correct. from 1995. Mm-hmm. And it stars Scarlett Johansson very controversially in a role that is roundly considered to be whitewashing. Indeed. Um, we're going to talk all about this movie in just a minute. First, I want to tell you guys out there where you can find us on the web. You can go to our blog, which is found at www.in-the-q, that's the letter q.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search Facebook for In The Q. Q-U-E-U-E is how that word is spelled. Mm-hmm. And on our blog and on our Facebook page, you'll find all of our episodes. Uh, on our Facebook page, you can leave comments if you would like to join us on an episode of the program to review the film of your choice. We would uh, love to have you to come on and do that. Yeah, we'd love it. Uh, we also have a Twitter account. It is at ITQ Podcast. And lastly, you can find us on iTunes, Podcast, and Overcast apps. And chances are, if you're listening to this, you found us already. You're here. Yeah. So without further ado, today's film is Ghost in the Shell. I'm on site. I'm going in. You are the first of your kind. But you're not invulnerable. Maybe next time you can design me better. Everyone around me, they feel connected to something. Connected to something I'm not. What are you? You were dying. We saved you. And now you save others. I don't know who to trust. You trust me, right? I know I have a past. I'll find out who I was. 
Everything they told you was a lie. Who are you? They did not save your life. They stole it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, it's not over yet? I mean, that, that was pretty much over. Okay, it was over. Um, yeah, so uh, they reveal something in that, at the end of that trailer that's uh, sort of uh, pivotal information in the film. It kind of is. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll go ahead and alert a, a spoiler warning to everybody. Yeah. Uh, we're probably going to talk about some things that are revealed later in the film. And if you want to be surprised, uh, just be forewarned. You might want to turn this off or listen to it some other time or what yeah. have you. Yeah. Um, the film Ghost in the Shell is uh, based on an acclaimed Japanese manga of the same title and also based on the 1995 anime. Uh, I am not familiar with either one of those things. I'm only familiar with this film. Phil, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? I, I, I ask myself that question daily. <laughs> um, so the... the the story is about uh, Scarlett Johansson's character, who is Major Motoko Kusanagi. Uh, this uh, story takes place in the near nearish future. Mm-hmm. Um, she is the first of her ilk. She is a human saved from a, a terrorist attack who becomes cyber-enhanced uh, to become a perfect soldier. Uh, the idea being she'd be the perfect marriage between a cunning human mind and a... Very strong, invincible, cyber body. Yes. Um, so she's the she's the ghost in the shell, which makes me think of Ghost in the Machine, but I guess it's not the same thing. I think that's sort of exactly what it's aiming for. <laughs> aiming for, but they didn't call it Ghost in the Machine, maybe because the police already had a copyright on that. Sh- sure, I'm sure that's what it was. Yeah, that's probably what it was. Um, so she's she's uh, she's been tasked by this group called Section 9 to confront terrorism and uh, p- people who have this ability to hack into the minds of other people. Uh, they can actually do that. There's a port on the back of certain people's necks and people actually will download information mm-hmm. directly from the source. Mm-hmm. So um, in what is kind of Blade Runner-like in the sense that this is also kind of like a film noir type twist the uh, the main character major sort of begins to realize that in a way she is a pawn in a larger game yes and she is in fact uh, her whole identity is not what she thought it was and her 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 beliefs as to why she was doing what she was doing are actually thrown into question uh, in the film and she begins mm-hmm. to to uh, go on a search of sorts to try and determine uh, you know her own actual story. Sure. And they say in the end of that trailer, she discovers that her life was not saved; it was stolen. Yeah. So yeah, um, this movie is directed by Rupert Sanders. Yes, who did who... Snow White and the Huntsman? Did you see that? I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, uh, very impressive visually. Very uh-huh. dull story-wise. Uh, <laughs> yeah, looks uh, like he's got an mo. <laughs> um, this movie is is been getting a lot of 
mediocre uh, feedback. Yes. It's, it's, yeah. been, it's been roundly called a mediocre film, dull, without thrills. Yeah. Um, I don't even think the visuals are that cool. No. But, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there seem to be kind of unmotivated. Like, whereas if you look at a movie like Blade Runner, mm-hmm. all the outstanding visuals, they're not there just for the sake of being visually cool. Mm-hmm. They serve a purpose to kind of illustrate what sort of a world the characters are living in. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that I latched onto when watching this version of Ghost in the Shell was how they seem to have taken one kind of aspect of Blade Runner, which is the very ostentatious holographic billboards advertisements that, sure yeah. yeah that adorn the buildings in in Los Angeles in um, 2019 in Blade Runner and it's almost like they thought well let's kind of just take that to the next level so instead this city has got even more gigantic billboard holograms that are really only visible from the water and not even in the city. Yeah, and don't it seem to actually be advertising anything at all. Uh, right. It, they just and seem I, to be big characters standing there, and you, they have. It doesn't look like an. Ad, at least in Blade Runner, it looked like it was an advertisement. Well, yeah, well, in Blade Runner, you had more actual products too. You had actual product placement, mm-hmm. which was pretty bold. I guess that, that probably wouldn't be so prevalent nowadays. Yeah, to use actual brands, yeah, yeah. especially in a future that could be described as dystopian. Sure, uh, but but these gigantic billboards in Ghost in the Shell are kind of at the heart of a problem for me with this movie. Yeah, and that is uh, visuals for visuals' sake only, and that is uh, what would be something cool that we could do mm. and futuristic mm. that would actually kind of be different from the whole history of movies up to this point. Now, the problem for me with these billboards is that they're, they don't make any sense. They make yeah. no logical sense in the world of the film because yeah. who are these advertisements for? If you can only see these graphics if you're not even in the city, if you're in space or if you're on the water, uh, it doesn't serve any kind of logical motivation for them to be there. Yeah. Uh, and then this movie has multiple instances where things happen just because the director thought they would look cool and they don't serve a logical purpose and they don't even honestly, look that cool. Honestly, I think that is the criticism of the entire film. Mm-hmm. I think beginning to end, this is a film that our director basically took as an opportunity to do cool things. And I can guarantee you he was hired for that reason too, because if you watch sure. Snow White and the Huntsman, it is a series of really cool looking things strung together with the flimsiest of plots and the weakest of motivations on the part of its characters. So it, it isn't, uh, they didn't go to a Ridley Scott in order to make this, you know, Ridley Scott, uh, has had his fair share of real duds, in his career, but he has always been a consummate storyteller in addition to being an incredible visual artist um, yeah. in terms of the way that he crafts his films. This this is, there's no such storytelling aspect to this film or to any of his films that I've seen so far, which is, of course, just two of them. But Right. Um, 
yeah, there's nothing. It, it's totally hollow. It's completely empty, which is very funny if you're making a film called Ghost in the Shell. It's that, like a shell with no ghost in it. <laughs> it's like a shell with no ghost. The other thing that really kind of bothered me when I was watching it is there's a scene which is clearly supposed to be a major set piece of this mm. movie. And it's a scene that you can actually watch online um, excised from the film oh. because the filmmakers are so proud of it that they made an example of it. And in the scene, it takes place in the middle of the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the bad guys is running away from yeah. Scarlet's character. And he is running through these alleys and he's trying to get away mm-hmm. and then he hides in the middle of this gigantic open plaza that's covered with like a small layer of water in the middle of the open where anybody walking by could see him well here's what, the problem yeah i mean because like well, that's not hiding that's only he's only doing that because the director wants to do a cool set piece in the middle of this watery plaza well that might be what you think but as someone who is not familiar with the manga or the anime uh-huh. i could understand why you would think this but that scene is in both the manga and the anime um a little bit of backstory here i am a huge fan of the anime film um I think it is a masterpiece. I think it's one of the great milestones in anime cinema. Uh Um, And uh, I even went back and watched it after I saw this film. Uh As a palate cleanser? As a palate cleanser and also to reaffirm that it is as good as I remembered it being. Um, Because I I was like, well, maybe I just don't remember it being so well. It's probably been about 10 years since I watched it. Maybe I just Uh was a different person then. Maybe wasn't thinking clearly, but no, that is not the case. The original is still incredible. And that scene happens in the original, but it is as it is the culmination of a series of events that stretch back 15 minutes prior to that in the film. Uh And it becomes this really, really intense chase sequence where these garbage truck drivers are going from station to station They've been duped by this rogue AI called the Puppet Master into using these access terminals that are along their route in order to, you know, sort of send out a signal and and establish waypoints. And they get embroiled in this mess that they don't mean to get embroiled in. And this guy who runs into the open plaza is a third person who Mm -hmm. is the one who was providing these guys with their, these little chips that they were using in the, in the phone booths. Gotcha. And so there's this whole culmination of all of that, that I just described to you. Then them all coming together at one point, major Kusanagi Bato as a separate character coming from a separate direction all of mm-hmm. these like f- sort of five characters all coming together in one spot. And then the chase begins and it's a really intense chase and there's a whole lot to it. And I remember as I was watching this film, I remember that chase very distinctly, almost shot for shot from the anime. And mm-hmm. as it started in this film, I was like, well, this doesn't make any sense. Visually, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why they're setting it up this way. Mm-hmm. And, Essentially, (laughs) this guy goes running through the crowd with this sort of hollow cloak on 
And we get one shot of Kusanagi running across the top of a building, and then suddenly this guy's in the middle of this open plaza, and she's yeah. fighting him with her invisibility cloak turned on. And right, so they, they kind of... Um, what's the word for that? When they collapse something into con- a, a much smaller... Uh, condensed it? No, no, there's a word. There's like Painfully. trombone it or something. Yeah, well... They tromboned it. They certainly said tromboned it. I mean, it's... It's almost criminal what they did with the source material in terms of what they condensed. And the really bizarre thing about it is that this movie is 25 minutes longer than the anime and yet has less substance (laughs) to it, which is astonishing, especially because this film actually draws more from the manga. It draws additional material from the manga that is not included in the original anime and... I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and this part I don't remember completely, so maybe don't quote me on it, but I believe they draw from the television show as well. There was a television show called Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex that Mm -hmm. was produced that sort of delved deeper into the manga and and added additional stories to this this sort of base story. Right. Well, so if they were trying to be faithful to the original story, I guess, I, I guess, uh, but I think they went wrong in the sense that they, they thought that their visual scheme could carry the film. They thought that it could carry it through these very slow stretches where not much in of consequence happens. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe they thought they were building mood and atmosphere but just because nothing happens doesn't mean you're building atmosphere. Well, I think that I think what we've run into here, and this is a thing that anybody who's a regular listener of the podcast would have heard me complain about before, and I think that this is sort of a as clear a crystallization of this problem in film that as I've seen ever, uh-huh. which is that there is an economy of storytelling when you go back and you watch the anime. Right, or if you or if you read the manga, there's an economy of storytelling that is necessary because of the medium. Because of, uh, especially in 1995, when you were doing anime, everything was hand drawn. They were hand painted backgrounds. Like everything was very labor intensive. So you had to be very mm-hmm. smart about how you told your story, and there was really nothing extraneous. So that when you when you watch the original uh, anime, it is incredibly lean in the way that it tells its story and it's it moves forward at a very good pace and it gives you all of the necessary information and nothing more mm-hmm. and yeah there's some moments when there's just like cool stuff happening for cool stuff's sake as there will be in anything like this but it doesn't overwhelm the the picture but in the age of CGI where entire films are being made as CGI creations, just about see films like the jungle book or, um, uh, that horrible avatar. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, things like this where, where a a huge portion of the film is entirely computer generated creations. What you have is a tendency to overdo it, to fill every frame with more motion than there needs to be to film, to fill every, character with more expressiveness than there needs to be to fill every uh second with 
action and to blow things out when they don't need to be blown out. Um, there is a showmanship or maybe just an ostentatiousness uh-huh. about CGI and the culture of CGI and the idea of, oh, we can do anything we want after the fact that allows people to be lazy about their storytelling and lazy about their filmmaking because they think that they'll just quote unquote fix it in post and do whatever they want Mm -hmm. after the fact. And I think that it shows And this, this movie I think is a perfect example of just, there's so much happening at all times and yet, there's nothing happening in the film at all. Yeah. And it definitely has to do with people paying more attention to sort of the design of the movie. Uh, the, the, uh, what's let's, paying attention only to what's in the frame, what's going yeah. to be in the frame. Yeah. Um, the, you know, we've talked about beauty and the beast and, uh, Cinderella from a, a year or so ago yeah. as being, uh, art direction porn yeah. or, and they're, they're porn in the sense that they are more focused on the look and they're focused on the kinds of things that you can change after you've already shot. Mm-hmm. They're the kinds of things you can add to what you've already shot. Uh, there's not a lot in the way of preparation to sort of make these visuals sort of adhere to the story or to emphasize mm-hmm. the story um, or move things forward to be motivated. I, it feels too much like things are just kind of adorned on a film like Christmas tree ornaments. Yeah. Yeah. And, and who, uh, which, which filmmaker or maybe a special effects person was it that said that uh, all special effects should serve the story, not the other way around. Well, there's a, there's a quote by George Lucas to that effect. I think it, where, yeah, yeah. He said that a special effect without a story is a pretty boring thing. Yeah. And he is maybe not the one, the best one to preach that nowadays. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) but once upon a time, that was very true uh, within his oeuvre. But but I think that 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 statement, whether or not he's followed it, holds true. Is that you just special effects for special effects sake are not good. It's not interesting to watch. It's not fun Mm -hmm. and i think people who are working with a big budget in hollywood i think they have this like automatic sense of entitlement that yeah of course people are going to watch this movie of course they're going to watch it scarlett we got scarlett johansson we got scarlett Scarlett johansson super sexualized scarlett johansson people watch this this is going to be a major deal um so yeah of course we've already got the butts in the seats we're going to be golden let's just let's just try and make it as visually interesting as possible. Oh wait, we've already shot it. It's too late. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, well, but, yeah, and they and I think that uh, the box office carries that out. They, I think, it, last I checked, it had not even hit thirty million dollars in gross yet, and it cost one hundred and ten million dollars to make. So, <laughs> whoa, it's got a very low. Um, it doesn't have a great rating. It's a six point eight on on IMDb, but yeah. even more. Uh, damning is the fact that it's only got 36,000 votes or ratings. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really low, especially for a, a major tentpole movie. picture like yeah. this one. 
Yeah. So people don't seem to care about Ghost in the Shell. And uh, if you see it, you're still not going to care. Yeah. Well, the let's uh, let's address the controversy surrounding this film because sure, yeah. the studio has been blaming the lack of ticket sales on the controversy, which I think is a pretty crappy cop out. <laughs> yeah. You, you make a bad movie and then you blame it on the controversy surrounding your bad movie. Um, but if you don't know about the controversy, the controversy is that of whitewashing, which has become a very hot topic in in Hollywood these days um, yeah. because they continue to do it, um, especially with Asian uh, characters or Asian uh, stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but in pretty much anything, any people of color are pretty much uh, passed over for uh, white counterparts who can play the roles. Uh, Emma Stone kicked up a big fuss when Aloha came out because she was playing a Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this film, Scarlett Johansson is playing Major Motoko Kusanagi, which is very clearly a Japanese name. Right. Um, now, in the original anime, it's not specified what her uh, nationality is, but her name is still Motoko Kusanagi, mm-hmm. um, despite the fact that she has blue eyes, she is a cyborg. So, I mean, I suppose the argument can be made that there's the shell is the shell. But what I found to be especially especially strange about this film, a couple of things. One is that they actually address the whitewashing pretty blatantly within the film, and I can't tell whether it was written into the film after the fact or whether mm-hmm. it was shot ahead of time. Secondly, and this is the really weird thing, the first trailer that I saw for this film, which echoed the trailer that you heard just a moment ago, instead of just saying Major here at the very opening of that trailer, she said Major Kusanagi here. I remember seeing this in the theater. I remember hearing it <laughs> because I was excited. I was like, oh, Ghost in the Shell. I love Ghost in the Shell. I'm curious to see what's going on here. So in the first cut... Of the trailer, even. So they had already finished the film, for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. They had her as Major Kusanagi. And then the film came out, and it is very conspicuously clear that they they cut around mentioning her name. Everybody just calls her Major. On IMDb, she's called Major. Mm -hmm. And... When, it, when there is a moment in the film, a couple of different times, where she has to, quote-unquote, give her consent for something, for a, a process to be run on her sort of cybernetic, you know, uh, systems, she says, my name is fill-in-the-blank, and I give my consent. Now, you would right. expect her to say, my name is Major Motoko Kusanagi, and I give my consent. But instead, she says some sort of really... Gaelic name. I don't remember what it was. It is. I am Mira Killian. Mira Killian. Yeah. Which is so bizarre because that is never addressed in the entire (laughs) film. It's never addressed that she is Mayor uh, uh, Major Killian, but also Major Kusanagi. It's weird. There's a, if you read up some of the trivia around this movie, uh, the name Mira Killian is a extremely clever variation on the term miracle, 
as uh, as she is supposed to be some kind of miracle of modern science. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Miracillian <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. miracle? Oh, uh, God. You know, it's such a weird thing because if you look at other movies yeah. from other countries even, not just yeah. American Hollywood films, but um, other countries like, like India, for example, will cast all Indian actors in their films. Sure. Uh, even for roles that, you know, may not be an originally Indian character. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this kind of thing that, you know, Hollywood is the dominant movie-making machine in Mm -hmm. America, and they wanted to ensure the biggest possible box office so they cast one of the most recognizable young female stars in this role. Sure, sure. But then, at the same time, Hollywood being extremely reactionary and conservative, they try to disguise their decision... So that everybody's happy, even people who yeah. were once upset about the whitewashing. So it's interesting because, as as you just described, the the actual I guess ethnicity of Scarlett's character is has become really confused <laughs> with all these different terms and and with certain different twists that are inserted in the film. Yeah, and. Uh, it's almost like the people who made the film, they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. Yeah, that's yeah, so, that's the sense I got. Um, now, I think the biggest crime uh, that whitewashing perpetuates is robbing deserving ethnic actors the opportunity to really shine in a role that suits them yeah. and would give them and their culture a lot of visibility around the world and not just in the United States too. And when I asked myself like, well, if not Scarlett Johansson, who, who should have played this role? And it's an interesting question to ask yourself. Anybody who thinks that this is an example of a, a, you know, a crime of whitewashing, I, I wonder who better would be, the person to play the role should it go to an unknown should it go to somebody who uh like i don't know rinko kikuchi or <laughs> i would love that oh my god yeah. i would love that so much um yeah i think i think that that's a decent point but i think that the the source of the problem isn't even the source of the problem is this sort of cowardice on the part of film studios and and producers who are unwilling to find new and interesting talent. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, movies cost so much to make nowadays and they cost so much to insure and so much of it comes as foreign money. And, and so the excuse that they often make is, well, we had to make sure we had a bankable star because there's $110 million invested in this movie and blah, 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 blah. Um, And, and that's fine. And it's, I mean, it's an excuse that's worked for a long time, but I think it's, it's, it's lived well past its usefulness because there are plenty of examples of films with unknowns, unknown filmmakers or unknown stars that make bank. If you just get the right talent behind a film, it's not going to matter who's in it if it's good. Um, and this film's just not good. I mean, even, even with Scarlett Johansson, this movie is flopping. So, you know, it's not just a, a whitewashing issue though. I mean, oftentimes, actors get passed over for for roles that are of their own 
you know, background. Sure. Just because they're not bankable stars. Even if they're, you know, I mean, like, certain roles will go to the biggest stars, even though they may be better played by other actors. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that's... And it, it's, it's, it's a... I think that it's an industry problem. Yeah. It, it has it has more to do with that than it has to do with simply thinking, you know, the 14-year-olds the aren't going to show up for a movie with an Asian in the main role. Yeah, which I think is a completely incorrect argument to even be making um, because I think mm-hmm. that – I think every time something interesting or, or uh, good is done by – like, for instance, uh, Justin Lin has been the – brains and the muscle behind the fast and the furious franchise for quite a long time now. And Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that any, any of those, I mean, at the beginning, those people were hardly well known. The people who were in those, in that movie. Yeah. Um, and it's become one of the biggest franchises in the world on its eighth installment now. Uh, so are you saying you want to review fate of the furious? I would would actually love to, (laughs) Sorry, we got a rule. No sequels. <laughs> oh, no. Ah. Um, well, I've seen all the Fast and the Furious movies. So I haven't seen any of you them. You haven't seen them. So no. it's it's not a violation of the rule on my side of things. Well, you can see it on your own time. Okay, I will. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's plenty of... There, I mean, there's a million examples like this. Um, but, I, I, you know, I think that... I think that studios need to start making those decisions and it would be it would be nice to see them return to a time or at least a way of thinking where they actually take risks and and take mm-hmm. creative risks with their money um yeah sometimes you're going to have a flop but i mean this was this movie was supposed to be a sure thing and it's flopping so yeah. clearly your your tried and true method of doing this is not foolproof um so what is it going to hurt you to put some un you know somebody who's unknown in the film or at the helm of the film i mean certainly uh, if uh rupert what's his name doesn't sanders yeah rupert sanders doesn't direct another thing i would probably be okay with it um visually impressive though the things he directs may be um yeah i don't know i mean i don't know what the solution is i'm a big fan of william goldman and he's been railing against this for 30 years now so mm, yeah uh, it's, you know it's slow creep but uh i think it, this we're kind of at the point where it's just the absolute culmination of everything that he's complained about for an eternity right well he is the the prophet of screenwriters in hollywood so indeed um well yeah it's an interesting thing to discuss and uh listeners if you have an opinion about this very controversial issue of whitewashing way in uh yeah way in direct it right at us on facebook or on our blog um, we'd love to hear what you think. And I definitely know that there's a lot of other material out there that is in dialogue with this particular, um, concern. So we'll, we'll definitely be posting some of that stuff on our Facebook page and on our Twitter. So stay tuned definitely. for that. Definitely. Um, I think bottom line, no matter who, who should have been in this film, uh, it did not really connect with us. No, uh, me or Andrew, I didn't particularly like it. I thought it was kind of dull with some occasional splashes of visual invention. But overall, nothing special. 
Yeah, and I think we're the target demographic for this movie, um, or at least mm-hmm. in in some regards. I'm certainly the target demographic for this movie uh, in many different ways. I'm a white male who loves anime, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, uh, and science fiction in general. So I'm I'm like the perfect target for this, and this is just like it's such a dud. It's unreal. Mm. Um, don't don't go see it. <laughs> go watch the original. Watch the original, read the manga, watch the television show. They're all good. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe people not going to see it will send the right message to Hollywood. And yeah. they'll rethink their you know, reliance on having major Caucasian stars in their films. Yeah, we can, we can hope. We can hope. <laughs> Stay tuned for our next episode. It's going to be a listener's choice. We're going to have Seth on the show. Yep. He's, uh, he's going to talk to us about the Monty Python classic, Life of Brian. I'm very excited for this. So stay tuned and we'll see you then. See you then.